God, we do thank you and we praise you for the opportunity uh, this morning to gather. Uh, Lord, we thank you, uh, Lord, for your word. Lord, as we look to it this morning, we pray, oh God, that you would guide us as we look to, uh, Lord, this text and this important topic. Um, Lord, we do thank you that you tell us in your word to cast all our burdens upon you for you care for us. So God, we do want to lift up to you, um, Lord, uh, individuals within our church family that have burdens who are struggling right now. We think of Jim and Barb Standish, uh, Lord, both who are uh, dealing with COVID right now, on top of Jim recovering from uh, sol- uh, shoulder surgery, experiencing pain. We-, we pray, God, that you would comfort them and heal them and restore their strength. God, would you supply everything that they need uh, by your grace? And uh, Lord, we also pray for Terry Burke. Um, Lord, as we have been as a church, we just continue to lift her up before you. Lord, to her being in, in Houston right now, and Lord, there, there's an important uh, stem cell transplant occurring this Tuesday, um, and God, we pray that this would be successful. We pray that her body would receive this, God, that you would heal her and restore her, um, and Lord, I pray that you would deepen uh, Terry and Brent's trust in you, that you would comfort them, give them peace that surpasses all understanding. God, remind them that you are for them and that you are with them, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. They say that many of the things that children learn from their parents is oftentimes more caught than taught, meaning that children study their parents, they watch their parents, they pick up on things, and then they, of course, imitate them. For many of the parents in this room, that's a terrifying reality. I know for me and my three kids, they know exactly what to do when their daddy yells out, O-H, and they say, I-O, thank you, Michael, I knew you'd get that, yep, because they know that OSU football is important to uh, their daddy, and that's not something that I even had to teach them. They just kind of picked up on that within the Beals household. There are a number of things that our children just kind of learn without us intentionally teaching them. In fact, there are a number of words that our children just learn without us even having to teach them, even from a small age. For example, somehow and from somewhere, children seem to automatically learn to say the word mine. That the relentless declaration of mine is built into the brokenness of our humanity. And so much so that someone developed what's called the toddler creed. Let me explain what that is. It goes like this. Number one, toddlers believe that if I like it, it's mine. Number two, if it's in my hand, it's mine. Number three, if I can take it from you, it's mine. Number four, if I had it a while ago, it's mine. Number five, if it's mine... It must never appear to be yours in any way. Number six, if I'm doing or building something, all the pieces are mine. Number seven, if it looks like mine, it's mine. Number eight, if I saw it first, it's mine. Number nine, if you are playing with something and you put it down, it automatically becomes mine. And number 10, of course, if it's broken, it's yours. Now, we can laugh at that, and I've got a toddler, so I'm just like, man, that's so true. But do you know what the problem is with what I just said? The problem is, is that those things don't automatically go away when you grow from a child to a teenager 
to an adult. That the issue of mine is embedded into all of our hearts. That we're all struggling with this issue of mine in various ways. That this self-absorbed, self-obsessed, self-centered mentality is the enemy of biblical stewardship. Now, let's zoom out just for a moment. I want to maybe talk just for a couple of minutes here about why we're looking at this series of stewardship and why now. The, the normal preaching diet at college, at, uh, not college, Pennington Park, uh, wow, uh, Pennington Park is we walk through books of the Bible, verse by verse. So uh, on occasion, we will kind of look at different um, topics once or twice a year for a couple of weeks. But why this series and why now? Let me give you four reasons here before we jump into Matthew uh, 25. The first reason is that the topic of stewardship touches every aspect of our lives. That this series is not just about money. Yes, it involves money, but it's way bigger than that. And when you and I understand the biblical principles related to stewardship, we'll realize that it actually changes every aspect of our lives. That it, yes, it impacts our money, but it also impacts our time and our relationships and our possessions and our careers and our houses. Every aspect of our lives involves stewardship. This might be the most practical sermon series that I ever preach. So that's the first reason. The second reason though, is that oftentimes we are blind to this issue of mine, how it's embedded into our hearts and how it's actually impacting every aspect of our lives. See, I don't know if you know this, but you and I experience a deadly combination on a daily basis. That on one hand, we have this default sinful mindset where just about 24-7, we are thinking about what's best for me. And yet when you combine that with our cultural and societal value of individualism, self-advancement, and you put the two together, that results in a very unhealthy and oftentimes sinful mentality when it comes to the things that God has entrusted to us. And my working theory, just because I know my own heart, is that we are oftentimes blind to this combination and how it's impacting the things that we own. Right? Some are stuck in what I would describe as an unhealthy cycle when it comes to the things that we have. And when you're caught in that cycle, you start to experience this unrelenting craving for more, this deep-seated discontentment. You've fallen prey into the comparison trap. Your generosity is inconsistent and your joy is unsustained. And a lot of that comes from this issue of mine. It really stems from having an owner mentality rather than being a steward. That we look at the things that we have and we take them and they're in our hands and we slowly just tight fist them. And we have this white knuckle grip around the things in our lives rather than living with them open-handedly because we believe at the end of the day, the things that are in my life, they belong to me. They are mine. And so this series, I just want to chat about that issue. Now, thirdly, another reason I want to do this sermon series is I want to address the difference 
between having an abundance mentality compared to having a scarcity mentality. I think many times our generosity, and again, not just money, but every aspect of our lives, but many times our generosity is determined by a fear of lacking what is needed. And so we close up. That oftentimes we say, I can't possibly give or do A, B, and C, because if I do, then I may not have enough. I I may be in need. I might miss out. And so we close up. That's having a scarcity mentality. An abundance mentality believes that everything I've been given actually belongs to God. And I'm I'm just a steward. And the result of that often leads to generosity. So fear is what's behind this scarcity mentality. And yet an abundance mentality, what's behind that is joy and generosity and living open-handedly because everything really belongs to God anyways. So I want to talk about how this scarcity mentality can dry up our generosity. Again, in all aspects of our lives, not just financially. And then fourthly here, is my hope is that you will see the rule and reign of King Jesus in and through the gospel and how he can set you free from this destructive owner mentality and put you on the path of joy and generosity. I want you to hear this loud and clear, that this series is not about what I want from you, but it's what I want for you. This series is ultimately about your joy, about the source of your joy and about the fullness of your joy. See, I I believe that Christians should be the most vivacious, joy-filled, satisfied people in the planet. Not because we don't go through hard things, but because we believe that everything we've been given is a gift from God. And, And that mentality shift can put you on the path of fullness of joy. Now, here's the thing. We're all on a journey here when it comes to stewardship. In fact, there's a spectrum of stewardship because it's not just you're either selfish or you're generous. Those aren't the only two options. It's way more nuanced than that. And so here's kind of a spectrum of stewardship that we're going to unpack over the next couple of weeks. And you can see there that it kind of moves from left to right, where on the far left, you've got this owner mentality where everything that you have, you believe belongs to you. But then the next step there is being passive uh, and and resistant to being generous. You're not out front resistant. You're just more passive with the things that you have. But then right there in the middle, and I think this is kind of the default. If you're a Christian, it's just kind of like the the baseline, kind of the average believer is generous, gives to the Lord, or or uses their time, uses their resources in a good way, but it's guilt-driven or it's fear-based. And we're going to talk about what that looks like. And then the next step is, is you're giving, but it's self-protective. We're going to unpack what that actually means. And then obviously the far right there is the goal, which is being a biblical steward. And so really my hope is for you and for me just to identify where you are on that spectrum and what it looks like just to take a step towards being a biblical steward who is marked by joy and generosity. Now there's a massive difference between being an owner and being a steward, that being an owner is our greatest enemy towards stewardship and joy in God. 
There's a, there's a uh, description of being an owner that Paul Tripp uses in one of his books, and he specifically talks about it in terms of parenting and our kids. But as I read this quote, I want you to maybe take out children and insert something else. Maybe it's your career, maybe it's your money, maybe it's your possessions or your body image, whatever it is. But remember, being an owner, being a steward, this impacts every aspect of our lives. Listen to what Paul Tripp has to say. He says, we tend to approach parenting with a sense of ownership, that these are our children and their obedience is our right. We begin to need them to be what they should be so that we can feel a sense of achievement and success. We begin to look at our children as our trophies rather than God's creatures. Again, replace children with anything, and that's what an owner mentality looks like. Having an owner mentality believes that everything you have belongs to me, therefore I determine how to best use it. And what's underneath that mentality is really a desire to live like God. Now, I know that sounds harsh, and that's like, wait, I I don't believe that. I don't think that I'm God. And look, we, we would never say that. But that's why someone else coined the phrase being a practical atheist, where you can believe in God, You can even maybe be a Christian, but when it comes to making decisions on a daily basis, when it comes to how you view your stuff, you remove God from that equation and you determine how to best live. You determine how to best use the things that you've been given, that God is removed and you are calling the shots. And that's no different than being an atheist. And so what I'm suggesting for us this morning and over the next couple of weeks is that we need a radical shift from being an owner to being a steward. And Matthew 25 this morning is going to help us take some steps today in better understanding what stewardship looks like. So Matthew 25, there are four principles of stewardship that we're going to look at as we walk through uh, this passage here. And I just want to say that this idea of stewardship is all over the Bible, all over the Bible, so many verses, so many passages. But Matthew 25 is so interesting because Jesus is specifically talking about stewardship within this parable and within this story. And the context here is Jesus is trying to help his followers. He's trying to help his disciples. He's trying to help us understand how are we supposed to live as we wait for Jesus's second return, right? We don't know when he's gonna come back. We don't know all that that's gonna look like. But Jesus is going to help us understand how to live. And the way that he answers that is by talking about stewardship in the parable of the talents here. Now, that's so interesting to me because that tells me that all of life is one of stewardship. That stewardship is what it means to be a Christian. So let's look at what stewardship actually is. Four principles. Here's the first one. Immediately here in verse 14, we learn that everything we have is a generous gift from God entrusted to us. Okay, verse 14, we immediately see this very important principle. But remember, Jesus, in using this story, in using this parable, he's trying to tell us something about God, and he's trying to tell us something about ourselves. And in this kind of parable, this story, there's this master, this man who goes on a journey, Okay, he represents God in this parable. And then there are these three servants, and these three servants represent us. 
Now look at verse 14 with me. It says, for it would be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. Okay, in this parable, again, this man, he's going on this journey. He takes his property, what belongs to him, and entrusts it to his servants. Now, immediately we learn something about God here, that just like this man who is generous and gives his property, gives these talents to these servants, even though they didn't deserve it, even though they didn't work for it, even though it doesn't belong to them, he entrusts it to them, so too God generously gives to us things that belong to him. See, in verses 15 through 18, we're gonna learn that this master gave these three servants three different distributions of talents. That for one servant, he gave five talents, another he gave two, and then yet another he gave one talent. Now, before we get too far into this parable, we need to understand what a talent represented. In this time period, a talent was a measure of weight that was used for gold, silver, or copper. Now, because Jesus doesn't specifically identify if it's gold, silver, or copper, we don't know exactly the amount that a talent represented. But we can safely conclude that it was actually a lot of money, that some commentators actually estimate that one talent was worth over a million dollars at this time, or 20 years of work. And so even though one servant received only one talent, that's still a lot of money. But I want you to understand, verse 14 tells us that all of this belonged to the master. And so here's the principle. God owns it all. It, everything belongs to God. And this truth is all over the Bible. Let me give you a couple of examples. The psalmist in Psalm 24:1 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Listen to David, 1 Chronicles 29, both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all and in your hand is power and might and it lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. Look, it's all God's. This means that everything that we are, everything that we have, everything that exists owes its life, its sustenance and its purpose to creator God. Listen to how the apostle Paul summarizes this principle. He says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever, amen. It all belongs to God. C.S. Lewis describes it this way. He says, every faculty you have, your power of thinking or of moving your limbs from, from moment to moment is given you by God. If you devoted every moment of your life exclusively to a service, you could not give him anything that was not, in a sense, his own already. Look, my question for you is, is that how you think about your time, your money, your possessions, your career, your relationships, your influence, your resources? Do you understand that everything that you have is directly connected to God's ownership? See, stewardship and not thinking like an owner is foundational to what it means to be a Christian. It all belongs to him. Now, you might be pushing back right now. In your mind, you might be thinking, okay, yeah, I know that God is the creator. 
I know that he has given me good things, but everything? Well, what about my job? Like, certainly the job that I have, I worked for, I earned, right? I got the degree. I harnessed my skills. I interviewed. That was me. Well, let's talk about that. Where did you get your work ethic from? Well, you might say, well, I learned it. I learned it from, from my parents. Okay, where did you get the ability to learn anything from? And who chose your parents? Did you choose your parents? Or, or did God choose your parents? Where did you get your intellect from? Where did you get your drive from? Where did you get anything from? See, we can play this game all day, but at the end of it, it's, we're going we're gonna to see that the source is actually God for all things. Who your parents are, where you live, God is the source of it all. And stewardship malfunctions. Sin creeps in when we start thinking or acting as if we are self-made people, as if we are the center of the universe, as if we are the ones responsible for sustaining our lives. See, biblical stewardship begins by recognizing, reaffirming, responding to, and rejoicing in the fact that God is the creator of all and the owner of all. That stewardship begins when we say, you are God and I am not. Okay, so that's the first principle, okay? God owns it all. Here's the second thing, though, is that what we are entrusted with is based on what we can manage. If you look in verses 15 through 18, again, the master gives three different distributions of talents to these three servants. So interesting. He didn't give them equal talents. Now, despite the fact that this is specifically about money, the general principle applies to just about every area of our lives, that God gives us different influence. He gives us different relationships. He gives us different skills, different resources, different bodies, different possessions. We're given different amounts even of those things. And you might be thinking, wait a minute, I thought God was fair. I thought God was just. I thought he was a God of equality. Well, he is. He is a God of justice, but he's also not irresponsible. See, the key here is in verse 15. It says that he gave these things to each according to his ability. This is interesting here because what God gives you is dependent on your ability to steward and manage it well. And so the greater you've been entrusted, the greater your ability is to steward and manage those things. So have you been given a great job? Have you been given lots of opportunities, lots of resources, lots of influence? Well, great, but that means that you have the capacity to steward and manage those well. So make sure that you are. Don't waste those things. Don't waste those opportunities. Now, here's the flip side of that, is that too much is given, much is required. Too much is given, much is expected. This principle is all over the Bible, but Luke chapter 12, verse 48 says, everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Look, you and I will be held accountable based not on what we were given, but on what we did with what we were given. You will be held accountable 
based on not what you were given, but on what you do with what you are given. And that truth, that truth has the ability to set us free from the devastating and destructive comparison trap. Oh man, so many of us are stuck into this comparison trap where we look to the people around us and we compare what we have with what they have and we try to determine, do I have more than them? Do, what, is what I have better than what they have? And we do this with everything. Uh, we do this with, with money, with our possessions, our cars, our houses. We do this with our careers, our body shapes, our spouses, our, our children and their behavior. We are comparison junkies. And we so often, we, we basically determine our self-worth and our value based on how well we're stacking up with those around us. And we do this with all kinds of things. And based on how well we're stacking up, that so often leads to so many types of sin. It can lead to jealousy, to covetousness, to pride, being discontent, being self-absorbed. And it's because we are so focused on what we don't have rather than being focused on what we do have. Look, what's so interesting about this parable with this story, as I was reading this, the second servant stuck out to me. The servant with the two talents. I, I was just like, man, what would it be like to be him in this story? Because for him, there's no mention. I mean, he was faithful, right? But there's no mention of him being like, wait, why didn't I get five? This dude over here got three more talents than me. What's up with that? Like, there's no mention of that. There's no mention of him complaining. There's no mention of him comparing, falling into that comparison trap. Why? Because he was so focused on being faithful with what he was given rather than what he was not given. And I think that is such a good word for us stuck in the comparison trap. We're so focused on the people to the left and to the right of us Look, this servant was focused on being faithful with what he was given, and that truth can set us free, that we need to focus on watering the grass that we've been given, making it as green as possible, so we're not looking to the grass that looks greener, that doesn't belong to us, right? Look, the goal is never to have more. The goal within stewardship is being faithful. That is the bullseye. And that leads us to the third principle that we see here, is that the aim of stewardship is faithfulness. After these three servants, after they determine what to do with these talents that they were given, verse 19 tells us that the master returns, right? He's, he's uh, settling his accounts with them. He's holding them accountable based on what they did with what they were given. And that could be another principle in and of itself, but I'm cut on time here. But it becomes clear that the master wanted his servants to steward his resources well by investing them, by using them so that when he returns, he would have more, all right? Now, if you notice here, these first two servants, they report to the master, they doubled his money. And the master essentially responds the same way, verse 21, verse 23. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. 
this is an unbelievable response. Like when we understand this, this is stunning for us. This is so helpful for us that as the master commends these two faithful servants, he says, well done, good and faithful servants. Notice what he doesn't say, church. He does not say, well done, good and successful servants. Doesn't say that. He doesn't say, well done, good and influential servants. He doesn't say, well done, good and relevant servant. No, he says, well done, good and faithful servants. Man, what a challenge for us. Like this is the bullseye. This is the target with everything we've been given. Our whole lives, the target is faithfulness. And we get into trouble when we move that bullseye, even though it's clearly outlined in the scripture, when we change it to being successful or being relevant or being happy or being comfortable or being safe, those are not the targets in the Christian life. It is being faithful. And we can apply this to every aspect of our lives. So mom and dad, this is your bullseye for you to stand before the Lord and for him to say, well done, good and faithful parent. Not well done, good and cool parents. Right? Supervisors in the room, bosses, if you, if you manage people, this is your bullseye. Well done, good and faithful supervisor. Not well done, good and well liked supervisor. Like if you have money, possessions, things, the goal is not to have more. The goal is to be faithful. And being faithful means being obedient to what God has prescribed for how we are to use the things that he has given us. Look, the, the question just practically boots on the ground here, the question that you and I should be asking all throughout the day is, God, what do you want me to do with A, B, and C? How do you want me to use the money you've given me? How do you want me to use my calendar this week? How do you want me to use my influence, my relationships, my house, my whatever it is? And I want to ask you today, how often do you ask that question? Do you ask that question weekly? Do you ask that question daily? Is it all throughout the day? Just as you're living life and stewarding the things that actually don't belong to you, they belong to God. See, we get really busy with the comfortable so as to avoid being faithful. And yet we will be held accountable, not based on what we were given, but on what you do with what you've been given. Well, that's only half of the master's response here. If you look at verses 21 and 23, the master says something else that's absolutely amazing. The master literally tells them to enter into the joy of your master. <laughs> this is crazy. He doesn't just say, Hey, well done, good and faithful. Here, you can have more. Going to be responsible with more. No, he says, come and experience the fullness of joy with me. This is the fourth principle of stewardship. It's that joy results from faithful stewardship. Man, this is so important. This is so good. Because I think so often when we are generous, when we give, when we are faithful stewards, and not accumulating more, we think that we're missing out on something. We think when we give away that we're gonna have less satisfaction. 
Like giving away more results in less control or less freedom, that we're, we're sacrificing so we're not gonna have as much. That's what we tend to think. And what's behind that is fear. We're afraid of not having enough. We're afraid of missing out. We're afraid of not having enough satisfaction and joy. And, and that's exactly what drove this unfaithful servant. Did you catch that in verse 25? Fear is what drove this unfaithful servant. He's explaining to the master why he didn't invest his talent and use it well. He says, I was afraid. And so he hid the talent in the ground. He was afraid of, of losing out, afraid of disappointing his master. He, he was uh, afraid of, of not having enough. He was afraid that his master maybe wasn't for his joy. And I wonder, can you relate to that? Like when you think about God, when you think about the things that he's entrusted with, is there maybe fear that deep down, is God really for my joy and my satisfaction? And if you're unsure of that, then guess what you and I tend to do? We go like this. We think, I don't wanna live this way and be generous with my time, be generous with my money and my, because giving away means I'm gonna have less, which in our minds thinks we're gonna have less joy and less satisfaction. But that's not how it works in God's economy, not at all. Within God's economy, the more you give, the more you're generous, the more faithful you are in stewarding, the more satisfaction and joy God gives you. Jesus himself said it is better to give than to receive. Look, I want you to know this morning that the creator God is for your joy. He is for your satisfaction. God did not create you and structure life in order to make you miserable. No, he wants you to experience fullness of joy. Life to the full is what Jesus said in John chapter 10. But can I point out to you what the source of joy actually is? even in this story, this so often, we can miss this, we can confuse this. The source of joy is not having more. The joy, according to verse 21, 23, is the master. The joy belongs to and is directly connected to the master, not having more, not being entrusted with more. See, the joy here is being with the master. That's so huge in biblical stewardship. Like that is, that's the big takeaway I want you to have this morning. That the joys, we're talking about stewardship, is not having a financial budget that's so tight that Dave Ramsey would be proud of. The, the goal of stewardship is not to have a type of calendar that's so well organized or, or to take care of your body so you're so fit. That's not the source of joy. Those might be good things, but the ultimate joy must be found first and foremost in God and God alone. Paul Tripp says it this way. He says that our obsession with material things brings trouble and heartache into our lives. So we tell ourselves we'll do better. We commit ourselves for a time to new budgets. We go on temporary diets. We hold garage sales. But none of it lasts for long. Why? Because deep inside us, we treasure the creation more than we treasure the creator. Look, we will miss out on the ultimate goal of stewardship 
if we think that joy is found outside of Jesus. No matter how faithful you are in being a steward, ultimate joy and satisfaction is found first and foremost in Jesus Christ. Why? The reason why the fullness of joy is found in Jesus is because he gives you, he offers you something of eternal value that you couldn't work for, that you don't earn, and that you surely do not deserve. He offers you eternal life with him forever. Forgiveness of sins, hope everlasting. Why? Because he purchased that with his own blood. Like we're talking about generosity. We're talking about what we wanna give Notice what Jesus gave. Notice what Jesus purchased. He purchased your freedom by giving up his own life. Like he died on the cross in order for you to have eternal life and forgiveness of sins. Look, notice the generosity of God, that God gave up his one and only son, Jesus, so you could spend eternity with him forever. Man, I want you to see and feel the generosity of God, the infinite generosity of God. Because we have to start there when we're talking about stewardship, we're talking about being generous, it starts with God. So look, compare the one who owns everything. Compare the one who everything belongs to God, including the air that we breathe. Compare him to us who owe a debt we could never pay because of our sin. Make that, if you want to get lost in a comparison trap, compare the two there. And then let's ask the question, who then pays our debt? Is it us? No, it's God. Even though he owns everything, he sends Jesus Christ to eliminate our sin debt by paying for it, by giving up his own life so that all who believe in Jesus and turn from their sins can have everlasting life. But stewardship... Thank you, Elaine. Look, stewardship makes no sense without understanding the infinite generosity of God. In fact, you won't be a faithful steward unless you find your joy, ultimate joy, in God and God alone. We start with being satisfied in Jesus. And guess what happens? Faithful stewardship flows from that. Because everything that you need Everything that you have is found in Jesus. So as we close this morning, I just want to ask you, where are you this morning on the spectrum of stewardship? Just want to close this morning. It's an important series. Again, I think this can change our lives completely. And I want to just spend a couple of moments here with three reflection questions as we begin this sermon series. Just praying that God just does a work in our hearts and our lives. Here are just three pastoral questions. If I was sitting across the table with you having coffee, these are some of the questions I'd ask you. Here's the first one. What are you looking at in your life and saying, mine? What areas of your life are you acting more like an owner rather than a steward? What might that be? And then secondly, is there a particular area of your life that needs attention and maybe help? Do you feel perhaps enslaved to something? Maybe you're way over your head in debt. Maybe you're addicted to shopping. 
Maybe your spending is, is really loose. Maybe you're not stewarding your time, your influence, your relationships well. My prayer is that at some point in this sermon series that you would draw a line in the sand and say, I need help. I, I need to talk to somebody about this area of my life, and we would love to have that conversation with you. And then thirdly, really important question, have you considered why God has gifted you the way that he has? Have you considered why God has placed you in the role that you have? Do you know why God gave you that business? Do you know why God made you a director at your company? Do you know why he's given you the influence you have, the personality you have, the resources you have? And are you connecting the why to being faithful to God? So as we just close this morning, before we sing this last song, just want to spend a couple of minutes just kind of reflecting on these questions, and then we'll sing our last song. Let me pray for our time right now. God, I pray that you'd move powerfully as you have been. Would you shine a light, oh God, into the areas of our life that we need to surrender, that we need to say it all belongs to you. God, help us to be doers of the word and not just hearers, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.